I told you I was going to finish this series. I don't know if I'm going to, but I'm going to try. And we're not calling this a series, but we've been going through the life of David. And let me let you, are you, have you been impacted by this, uh, the series on David? Have you been impacted? I, I love talking to people. I love talking to people and saying, look, what, what has most impacted you? And it's always different. Some people said, you know, to inquire of the Lord. I, I, I realized in my own life, I wasn't like David. I didn't inquire of the Lord before, you know, big decisions that I made. I'm not saying you got to inquire for the Lord about whether you wear blue or black socks, but you should inquire of the Lord, especially at those wise in the road in your life. And so that's been impactful. Other people have said, you know, gave, gave me great encouragement because I've had such failure in my life. I mean, I had a particular incidence or maybe years, decades of running from God or, and I knew, I mean, I knew what I should be doing and yet I didn't do what I knew and now I'm coming back to God, will he accept me? And then you see, of course, David, a man after God's own heart and the great failure and the commensurate pain that goes along with that. You know, sin causes incredible pain. One of the things we've seen, we saw, in fact, what was fascinating is that, you know, there were... A number of people that were, it was a four-for-one switch for David. He lost four of his own sons. Four. Four of his own sons as a function of his sin. Listen to what uh, a guy named uh, Strait says, Neil Strait, about sin. I'm just going to read this to you. Sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all that is beautiful has been made ugly until all that is high is made low. Many of you maybe can attest to that in your own lives. I certainly can. Until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like a desert, parched and barren. It's drained of its purpose. It's bleached of happiness. Sin then is not wise but wasteful. It's not a gate. It's a grave. And I think, I think it's a fair thing to say that sin, uh, all of us have had experiences of sin that we've committed and we realize the parched atmosphere that it can leave behind in our own lives and in the lives of those people around us. How much sin has, that I've sinned and it's caused pain in those nearest to me. You may not be that aware of that, but you're aware of when other people sin and you are part of the fallout, aren't you? And I think part of the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. and He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And when he did that, I think he said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will become much more aware of your sin, the sin in your life than you ever have been. Before, you just kind of thought, well, you know, relative to everybody else, I'm doing, you know, pretty well, I guess. I don't know. I don't really think about it. Isn't it hard to be with people that never think about their sin, that never think about repentance, that never think about that? One of the great things about David is this. Yes, he sinned ingloriously and with great passion at times, and yet he was always quick to repent, quick to recognize. We're going to look at the kind of the final act, the finale in David's life this morning, and it is tragic, another tragedy. In fact, many more people, many more lives will be cost by this failure than the Uriah-Bathsheba incident or any other, other failures that he had in his life. It's the census, and it's a strange story, as many of these are. Many of these Old Testament stories are weird, but I'm convinced this morning that you're going to see an insight. It's, at least it's my take on it. You be discerning, and you look into this, and 
And I think there's even a storyline, even within this consensus. There's something called theodicy, and that is men's attempt at, to vindicate God for the existence of evil and moral wrongdoings in life. So uh, people come together, and it's called theodicy, and they really try to vindicate God's name. In some ways, we will be taking a journey uh, of theodicy this morning, trying to, in some way, how in the world could God allow this to happen? This seems like a massive overreaction, not too different than what we saw with Uzzah when he just reached out to grab the Ark of the Covenant because it was falling. What else, would he, what else should he do? And I hope this is going to be enlightening for you. So let's read. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 24. There's actually two places in the Bible that chronicle this. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and 2 Samuel chapter 24. They basically take uh, a view, uh, and they're slightly different, by the way, and, and we'll see in a little bit that at first glance it may feel like, wow, this is, the Bible has a contradiction. But in fact, it doesn't as is always the case. At first glance, the Bible seems to contradict itself in various places, but a deeper look will help you recognize that it's not in fact the case. So this is just a weird story. It's a strange story, and it's a tragic way for David to kind of culminate his life. It really is. It's one of the last great... Now, you've got to understand, just prior to this, they had actually uh, had a great victory over the Philistines, and uh, now they're reacting to this. We're not told exactly... What ticked God off relating to Israel, but something had incited God against Israel? And we're going to read the story as we go. Verse 1. Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Why, we aren't told. But for whatever reason. Was it idolatry? Was it a, just a lack of piety? I don't know. But it says, and it incited David against them to say... Go number Israel and Judah. Notice, is God inciting? The first chronicle says that Satan rose up against and incited David. Which is it? Is it God inciting David or is it Satan? Well, because of God's sovereignty, just so we can bring these two accounts to bear, what's, you need to understand that if God allows it to happen, then it is in some ways God's movement. Satan never has any ability to do anything outside of God's constraints. So it really doesn't matter whether it says Satan incited or God incited because ultimately it always comes from the throne. And we see that in the book of Job as well. You'll see uh, Satan comes and he's accusing Job before God. And, and what does God do? Well, he allows him. So in some ways it could be God or Satan. You understand the, what this says. So if you are reading the two different accounts in your own study and you say, was it Satan or God? It's always God. Satan is always a pawn in God's overarching scheme to redeem humanity. Go number Israel, and the king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who, by the way, was no great paragon of uh, morality himself. But Joab had some uh, good insight here. He says, go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Now, if you know your, ge your geography at all, Dan is in the very northern part of Israel. In fact, if you're going with us to Israel in uh, end of November, we're going to go all the way up to the border. We're going to go to Dan. And there's actually a city in Dan that where the tribal allotment to Dan was called Dan. And then Beersheba is the very, very southern part. The lar it's, in fact, a fairly large city today, one of the top five largest cities in Israel. And it's in the Negev or the desert. It's kind of on the edge. So basically he's saying from Dan to Beersheba, from the very top to the very bottom, this is what happened. I want you to number the people. He says, and then Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are while the eyes of my Lord the king still see. 
But why does my Lord the King delight in this thing? In other words, why are you doing this? Why is this important to you? We're not told. We have to read between the lines. I can speculate a little bit as to why David may have done this. You know, are we ready for battle? I mean, uh, how, do our, how does our army compare to the other guys' armies? What, what are the other, what are the other, how, have they've amassed, we have a general idea of the uh, numbers that they've amassed. Does God, does it ever matter what God, if God tells you to do something, say, I don't have the money to do that, I don't have the time to do that, I don't have the education to do that, I don't, it doesn't matter. When we read these stories, God is always trying to, and many times he's trying to shrink the numbers. Remember the story with Gideon? They started out with a bunch of guys, and he kept shrinking it and shrinking it and shrinking it so they, they wouldn't be relying on themselves. And when they got through the battle, they would recognize clearly this wasn't us. It was God. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe David, as he got a little bit older, he just slipped into a place of comfort, and he just wanted to, in some ways, count his money or count his people in this case. You know, that can happen right here in this valley. This valley is the quintessential place of all the whole, I, maybe in the whole world, at least one of the places where people like to sit back and just constantly count their money and feel like, am I okay, am I okay? And then God tells them to give or to do something or whatever, and then they, they said, I can't do that because, or, you see what I'm saying? He was trying to take account, and would that have some impact on whether or not God had told him? We don't know, but that's some speculation that David's, I got, I got to figure out what I've got because I really, I, I used to rely on God. Remember David and Goliath? I mean, it was just me. I was nobody. I was a shrimp, and that was... Yeah, but it was me and God against Goliath. David had always lived in that place, and now he got comfortable. His bank account was big. That's analogously to us or whatever. And how, how many people do we have? I, I got to check it all out to see if we're going to be comfortable. It says, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. And against the commanders of the army. Now, this was, this was good counsel. And I will tell you right now, this is biblically sound counsel for you this morning. And the Lord may be speaking to you this morning. Don't worry about where you are in your money and your this and your that. If I tell you to do it, trust me, I will empower you and give you what you need at the time that you need it. Just trust me on this. Well, I can't do that because. Don't take account of your own inventory. If God tells you to do something, he will provide you with what, what you need when you need it. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register all the people of Israel. Now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. Now that's one of the beautiful parts about David is that when he does sin, and we're going to have to get into this, why is this a sin? But again, it's why it's speculative. Was God mad at Israel? Well, yeah, he was mad at Israel. But he incited David. Satan was involved in this. Where, where does all this go? It gets a little confusing here. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant because I've acted foolishly. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and speak to David. Thus the Lord says, I am offering you. Now, let me tell you something. This gets weird. It sounds kind of mythological. It's that some people want to distance themselves from these stories. These stories are hard to preach. I'll just be honest with you. That's why you probably haven't heard a lot of sermons on this census taking in your life. Like, what can I walk away from with this? This just makes me question God. I'm offering you three things, David. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said, here's what your choice is. And this is where he gets it. Seven years of famine, 
Seven years of famine. Do you know what famine does to a nation? I mean, we think of famine and we think maybe, you know, somewhere way off on a continent, way off somewhere. But we don't think really. Famine is devastating. Seven years of famine, horrific. How many people will die? Or three months where you absolutely get waylaid by your enemy. How many people are going to die with that? Or pestilence. Or pestilence. So what what are you supposed to do with this? I'm going to flee three months or I'm going to, well, three days is better than three months and certainly better than seven years. But see, I don't think it was that. David went ahead and says, Lord, we choose the third option, pestilence. In other words, we don't want to be given over to men because we don't trust men and their mercy, but we trust you in your mercy. Now, you'd say, well, pestilence, okay, that's kind of a bad thing, you know. I mean, they don't have a lot of antibiotics back then, and they don't have all that going, but okay, pestilence, three days, a lot better than three months of being routed by our enemies, and certainly seven years of famine, so, and plus it's the Lord's hand, but how many died? 70,000 people perished. It's one of those Hollywood movies you see, where you see the the famine come in, or you see, the, excuse me, the, uh, what is it, like some kind of germ or some kind of virus that takes over, and they're all in their uh, ha- hazard suits, and, and they're walking around, uh, maybe not too different than what had happened on the continent of Africa with Ebola virus, and it happened immediately and quickly. And, and now, with the story even gets stranger, if we go down to here to verse 15, so the Lord said, a pestilence upon Israel. Uh, from the morning until the appointed time, 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it's enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people and said, behold, it is I who have sinned. It is I who have done wrong, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And then the rest of the chapter involves David going and buying a threshing floor from Arana. And and by the way, your your accounts will give two different names, uh, Ornan and Arana. It's the same person. Most theologians agree it's the same person. The prices are slightly different. That's because one was just for the threshing floor. One would become David's ultimate dream. He would go ahead and buy all the property that the temple would be built on. That's also significant. The temple that David was never able to build. So what do we do with the story? 70,000 people. Isn't that a little bit of an overreaction? I'd like to take a census. I'd like to know how many people are in the nation, and and I'd like to register them. That's a sin, David. 70,000 people. Can you get that through your head? Do you understand why we're taking a journey in theodicy, trying to vindicate God's uh, name in some way this morning? I mean, how does that work? 70,000 people? I struggle with this. I mean, I don't care. I read all the commentaries and I look at that and I just go, I just, this doesn't make any sense to me. It just seems so disproportionate. There has to be a subtext here. Not too different than what we'd seen back in May 20th with the Ark of the Covenant. 
right? Why? Why the Ark of the Covenant? Because I think, I believe that the gospel is being preached again a thousand years before the time of Jesus. And God is saying, this is my highest priority, but we have to go back into the law again. Remember what we did with Uzzah? Let's go back into the law. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 30, if you don't mind. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30, verse 11. And this is strange to me because I, 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 I do I don't spend a lot of time in commentaries, but sometimes if I have an extraneous thought or something, I'll go and I'll say, well, and I, you just hardly find any of this in the commentaries. And it's strange to me because I think there's a hidden gem here, and I hope you agree this morning. Verse 11 This is back when God is giving the law to Moses and giving instructions for the nation that's now come out of Egypt. And the Lord also spoke to Moses and said, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, when you do it. In other words, it's not going to be a sin. When you number them, when you register them, when when you figure out how many folks are out there. He said, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them so that there will be, what? No plague among you when you number them. I don't know why this is taught. I mean, you, I scour the commentaries. This is rarely in there. I think maybe the pulpit commentary had something about Exodus 30 in there. But it's just staggering to me that people speculate about why and try to defend God's name. And they don't go back and say, look, Moses, here you When you take a census, make sure that they come with a ransom. Otherwise, a plague will break out upon them. This is just like it happened with the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't carry the Ark of the Covenant right. If you just read the story and you're reading through and going, arbitrary, strange, capricious God that we serve. I mean, the guy was just trying to help. The problem had occurred way before that. Arbitrary, capricious, mean-spirited God, 70,000 people for For what? For something that doesn't seem like a big deal. What is God protecting here? And if you don't see through the lens of the Old Testament, Jesus emerge in all his fullness, then I don't think you're catching it all. That's how I always challenge myself when I go to the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus was clear, and we talk about this all the time. In John chapter 5, he said, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. Jesus said he's writing about me, but That was 1,500 years before Jesus. I think there's a hidden Jesus gem here. He said that, that, this is verse 13. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Shekel is uh, 20 giras. Half a shekel is a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. The rich will not pay more and the poor will not pay less than half a shekel when you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourself atonement that's a new testament idea this of course is an old testament idea as well uh the etymology that word at one meant we're made at one with God uh we're we're put we're made right together we're kafar is the Hebrew word there it means to pitch over to cover the sins to make atonement to cover to purge to to, to make one okay with God again. But why is he saying in this context to make an atonement? Why would you have to make an atonement just to be registered? That, isn't that strange? So they're going to number me. I mean, it's like we do periodically, the U.S. does census taking. 
And can you imagine them come and say, well, if you want to be part of this gig, part of an American census, then you also have to give this amount of money. And you're just like, well, that would be weird. They tax me on everything, and now they're taxing me to be numbered among other Americans. Democrats, Republicans, I hate all those people. I mean, that, that's, I, we would respond violently with that. Then he goes says this, verse 16. You shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and you shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. When I read this, I, I remember and I was just like, aha, God's not capricious. He's speaking loudly from the pages of David's end of life scenario with the census what is it? Now, the pulpit commentary does say this. He says, listen to this. He, it says two things. First of all, to be numbered, you'd had to have a consciousness of sin, okay? And then secondly, you had to have a, a sense that you didn't belong to the people of God and you needed atonement. Why else would it be that you'd have to pay a price just to be numbered? Because, first of all, you had to recognize I need atonement, I need it, I'm a sinner. And secondly, I don't deserve to be among the people of God. This is a bad deal, it's going nowhere. Of course I'll pay the tax because I don't even deserve to be among the people of God. Now, analogously, where does that bring us? It's the same way with us. But our ransom is not half a shekel. What's the Bible say? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for everybody. The testimony given at the proper time. You want to be numbered among God's people? You know, we live in a culture right now where it's just like, you know, I have my take on God. This is my take on God. And I kind of think of this, and I kind of mix it with that. And I like, I like kind of the Eastern stuff where it's not all about religion and organized religion. I don't like all that stuff. And, and I don't like this, and I don't like this. And we just kind of create some, because we, we, we don't, we're willing to be theists. Maybe deists, but at least theists. We're willing to do that. There's a God out there, but we kind of create our own. And God, from the passages of scriptures, is going the same thing every time. No, the ransom for atonement means everything. And how severe is it? Let me get this in your head. Come on, here we go. 70,000 people slaughtered by the angel through pestilence. Is this really about David? This is the gospel one more time coming through loud and clear loud and clear, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before the time of Jesus, God's saying ransom and atonement is radically important. Have you applied the blood? Have you applied? We don't have to pay anything now. We just read it. Jesus paid our ransom for us. He did it. He became a ransom for everybody that would say, I want to be a part of the people of God. It's Jesus and his ransom. That's the story of this book from beginning to end. Yes, Genesis. 
Yes, Jewish people's Bible, the Old Testament, the Tanakh. It's the same thing. The gospel is being poured out, and we can see it clearly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Why the ransom? Because God has not destined us for wrath. Can you imagine? But obtaining salvation through Jesus. What were you destined for if you're part of the people of God? Not wrath. All this wrath that we see in the Bible, I am so thankful. And that's why we did the three-week kind of thing. And I'm surprised we didn't lose everybody in the church. Three weeks of the wrath of God. If you didn't see it, go back. I'm sure you'll want to spend your afternoon. But the wrath of God. But didn't, did, I hope it did in you what it always does in me. When I look at the, the wrath of God, I recognize not just some capricious God. No, no, no. I recognize the incredible ransom price that Jesus had to pay through his own life. And I grow closer to the Godhead, not further away. So what do we do with this if we try to kind of wind this whole David series up? I, I, one of the places I want to go first is just David's heart to repent. I want you to go to Psalm 139 if you have your Bibles. Psalm 139. And I want to look at, I think, starting here in verse 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. Again, this is one of David's great psalms he wrote many but it's so indicative and characteristic of his life yeah this was an inglorious end to a an incredible life and career governing Israel for 40 years killing Goliath and all I mean just the whole thing I mean he really raised this beautiful nation well what he did I'll tell you exactly what David did he allowed Israel to, be, to maintain their identity as a nation rather than getting absorbed in and conquered by other nations. He allowed Israel to maintain their identity as a nation and was the one more step on getting us closer to Jesus. Remember what we read a minute ago, Jesus Christ appointed at the proper time. God had always known exactly when Jesus would come, exactly at the time in human history. That's why he was able to prophesy, Zechariah and others, that he was pierced through for our transgressions even before crucifixion was ever even invented by the Romans who didn't come into power until 63 B.C., right? And there were, but these prophecies were given hundreds of years in advance because God knew that he would send his son at the proper time and it would just happen to come in the context of the imperial rule of, Roma, of Rome, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Listen to what, I love this, David, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now that word in the Hebrew, see if there be any hurtful way in me, is really, could be really appropriately rendered the way of pain, the path of pain. See if there is a path of pain in me. Not only for my pain, but also as you go closer to Christ, you begin to be concerned about the pain that you are inflicting either intentionally or unintentionally upon others. And I know we have some counselors in here and they can, they can easily say, yeah, people, usually the perpetrator in certain things that people, and I'm not talking about some massive violation but just an atmosphere at home where a father's distant and remote and unloving has cataclysmic uh, effects on the children and what David's saying search my heart 
I'm open to the scrutiny of your spirit. And for us, it's the word. When we come here, search my heart, God. Let me, when I read this and I, and, I, and I start to eat the scroll like he told the prophets to do, as I read this, Father, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, would you search me to see if there's any way of pain in me? Because you know all my thoughts. Make me aware of my own. Now, why is he writing this? Because he had failed dramatically. He didn't say this because he was just perfect. David had failed, but because he had this attitude, we're going to get some end-of-life, New Testament reflections on David that, for me, are incredibly powerful, and they're also comforting. So you're in here today, or you're on live stream, or you're just watching on this YouTube. Who knows? You might be watching this five years later after this was ever after this morning is gone, and you're on YouTube or something, and you, and you look on there, and you're just going, man, but my life is such a, a, just a mess, and I have caused so much pain. These are the attitudes, and this, this is what could be said about you, but it, it, re, it requires reflection, a conscientious awareness of your own sin, and that can be done only through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can pray this. Take this. Put this on your refrigerator. It's scary. I've told you, I pray this. It's a terrifying prayer, but I pray it every time I pray it. I, I get, I go, ugh, ooh. But when I pray, I'm like, Lord, whatever it takes. I know I'm a mixed bag. I know I have faulty desires. I know there's pride and there's this and there's that. And I've got, but Father, I'm just asking you whatever it takes. And when I pray that, I could just as easily just pray exactly what David just wrote in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, if there be any hurtful ways in me, just make it apparent to me so that I can repent, so that you can empower me, so I can go to people that I have wronged and ask them to forgive me, so I can reconcile, so I can, Lord, just help me, show me my own heart. Basically, what he's saying is, would, would you just put a mirror up to me and show me who I really am? Do you get that? I saw six or seven women punch in their husband. Did you get that? No. Now, th this, this is the word. It's terrifying in some ways because we don't always like to see who we are. We know there's some stuff going on back there, but we'd prefer to keep it back there. The problem is everybody who's behind you can see it just as clear as you can imagine. So I want you to go to Acts chapter 13. We're going to finally wind this down. I promised you I would, and I will. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. I, I got to be honest with this. <laughs> I'm so thankful that this is in the Bible. I am so thankful. Everything we know about David. And yet, this is here. Verse 36. So this is a powerful sermon. There's preaching here. It's the first missionary journey here. Stands up and he preaches this, and this is what he preaches. He says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. And David, after he served the purposes of God, In his generation. You know, one of the things about you is that you are a four-dimensional person. We know that. There's height and width and, you know, all this. 
So you live in space, but you also live in time, the fourth dimension. Without time, we couldn't locate you. I need to know, you could say, we give a longitude and latitude, but maybe you're up in the sky and I couldn't find you. So, you know, we need all the dimensions to locate you in God's creative force. But you are in time, and for whatever reason, you live here now. I don't live in the 14th century. I'll never see the 23rd century, maybe from the portals of heaven if Jesus hasn't come back yet. But I'm forced to be here now, not just in this place, Palm Desert, Frank Sinatra and Cook. No, not just here in this weird land we call the Palm Springs or the Coachella Valley. I'm more than that, but I'm also in time. I was watching, Laura and I were watching a little something that I had taped on the history of comedy the other night and I recognized and there was there was Frank Sinatra and I didn't and I didn't really know a lot about Dean Martin it was a little bit before my time but I'd actually met uh, who's the funny guy Dean Martin's uh, partner there Jerry Lewis I had actually met Jerry Lewis he was uh, years ago uh, before he I think he think passed but I met him and he was kind of going through some struggles and he'd gained quite a bit of weight and so we were watching this last night and we were just talking about the history of comedy and there was Frank Sinatra and Jerry Lewis and and and, uh, you know, Dean Martin and all them, and they were, it was just, that was all the stuff. It was all in black and white, and it was all here. They lived in time, and much of their time was spent in this place, right here in this Coachella Valley. We are on Frank Sinatra Drive, right here, and Cook Street. And you can go right over to Bob Hope. Bob Hope is part of the pack, too. And they call it the, the Rat Pack, right? And it was part of the, and I, it's just, I'm fascinated. And they lived their time. The question is, did they serve? The purpose of God in their generation, in, in the time in which God put them on the face of the earth. You put your name in there. We all have aspirations. We all have dreams. We all have desires. We all have passions. Sometimes the Bible can be used. Just You can just say, the Bible's there to help me get my dreams. Well, the Bible's there for much more than you just getting your dream. In fact, David ended his life and never actually got his actual dream. Did you know that? He had a dream to build the temple of God, and the answer was no. His whole passion, he prepared it, he knew Solomon was going to build it, he died before the great temple was built. Chances are, many of you in here will die before you meet some, maybe even unspoken to your own spouse, dreams. You've got certain dreams, certain visions that you have for your life, and maybe the answer is no. The question is not, did you get all you ever thought about and dreamed about? The answer is, did you serve the purpose of God? In your generation, do you aspire? Do you have a desire for that to be the case in your life? I got to tell you, I do. I'm so motivated by that. Oh, I drift off and I get this and I get sidetracked sometimes and, and I get, I'm, my life is just David. It really is. And when I, re, when I read about David, I go, it's not too different from me. I get sidetracked. I make stupid decisions. Uh, yeah, I'm your pastor. And I'm telling you, I make stupid decisions. That's why I put all kinds of people around, you know, trustees and overseers and, and all kinds of people and, and, and pastoral staff. And we're, we're equally submitted to one another so we can help each other do what? Fulfill the purpose of God in our generation. Are we as a church going to fulfill the purpose that God's given church at the red door in this time, in this moment, in this valley? What a strategic place. It's hard to do church here. We, all, we talk about it all the time. So we have to go all over there. 80% plus of our people leave, you know, during the first six months. And it's kind of like a little bit, but I, it doesn't matter. 
Serve the purpose of God. Put your name in there. Do you want that to be said about you? Boy, that Acts 13, 36 gets me. Oh, that that would be said about me. Are you impassioned by that? Are you driven by that? Do you even have any concept as what the purpose in your generation is that God has for you? And are you willing to lay down everything to accomplish that? Or is it more your dream that you're after rather than his purpose for your life? As imperfect as he was, that was said about David in the very first missionary journey Paul ever took. That is cool. I mean, that is so cool. I want you to, if you will, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Many of you will know it well. It's the great faith chapter. Some people call it the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, oh, we get it all. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Jacob. Conquered, did amazing feats. And along the way, when they lacked faith, they failed. All of them did. There, weren't, there wasn't one of those patriarchs that we just found that I just alluded to or that Hebrews 11 talks about that does not have some picture of failure in their life and I'm so thankful for that if these were all just saints you know where they never made a mistake and they never failed I'd be I'd just walk away like this and I'd take my tail and I'd put it right up between my legs and I'd say I can't be part of a community like this I don't have enough money to pay for the atonement for the atrocities that I've committed no way I cannot do it and then I hear the message of Jesus is your ransom I said, well, maybe, and so I'm walking away like this, and then I hear, well, maybe I can because somebody else paid your ransom. Oh, well, well, yeah, really, really? That's what we're tasked to do here. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's, uh, where do I want to pick this up? Let's start here in verse 32. And what more shall I say? Yeah, like I, in other words, here Paul's writing to, by the way, the believing Jewish community here, okay, in his letter to the Hebrews. He said, I, I could go on and on. This is, he's writing this letter. What more shall I say? I mean, I could just go on and on and on. I'm not, I am not near, and I'm not even getting close to filling in all the blanks here, but I could go on. He says, and time would fail me if I mentioned Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and... David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and let me fill something in, and also committed adultery, and also took a census that caught 70,000 people their lives. Don't forget that too, but that's not the context here. Quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. 
men and women of who this world was not worthy. David was included in that. So we got to, if we're going to put a button on this, we're not going out as ingloriously as a census was taken and 70,000 people died. David's done. End of story. Hope you enjoyed the series. See you next week. No, we end this way. Why? Because the New Testament ends this way. He fulfilled the purpose. He failed, but he fulfilled the purpose. He was constantly getting back up off the mat. Maybe you find yourself here today. You say, I'm on the mat. I, I'm struggling to believe. I don't even know. I, I, I can't believe I'm really here, to be honest with you. Get off the mat. Repent. Let the Lord, through this very word, penetrate your heart and show you right where you are. And if it's in a not a good place, you can repent today. And I don't mean just like walk the aisle or whatever your background is. I'll have, there'll be people, Mike Mills and others and the prayer team, they'll be down here afterwards. Come down here and you say, look, I just need to ask the Lord to forgive me or pray with me or something. They'll be down here to pray with you. Pastor Paul, Mary, they'll be down here to pray with you right after the service. Or if you're on live stream or wherever, just get down on your knees and ask the Lord, Father, forgive me. I want to get back up off the mat. I, if David was able to get off the mat and it can say things like that, men of whom this world was not worthy, could that ever be said about me? Books are being written about your life right now. We don't hear that often. We hear about other things. Books are being written about your life. Kept. First of all, stage one, you need to be atoned for. If you're going to be counted among the people of God, you need a ransom. Jesus was that ransom. Embrace him. Follow him. Choose him above all else. And secondly, if you've been ransomed, but you say, you know what? I don't know if I'm fulfilling the purpose for God, of God in, for, that he has for me in this generation. Just, you don't have, just ask him, Lord, what do you want? I want to be, we're a community here. We all have different things. We have a call here. Let's go for it. I want to see, we, I mean, we talk about it all the team and executive team. We want to see thousands of people come to know Jesus. Maybe some of that's through live stream, other things. Maybe, maybe it's right here. Well, we want to see thousands of people come into a relationship where their lives have been bleached by sin and they live in a waste place and we've got the antidote and his name is Jesus. Will we do that? Will we serve the purpose of God in our generation? So that's it. That's much more could be said. Obviously, I feel like the Apostle Paul. Time fails me, but if I don't get off this series, that's not a series, I will, for, we, we, could, I, we could just spend forever here. And there's much more that could have been said. But I hope through this picture and this character sketch of David's life, you've drawn on things that are going to help you in your life. So we're going to close with Psalm 139. Uh, this worship song. So as the lights go down, I'm just going to ask you, listen intently to the words of this, the fullness of Psalm 139, and just talk to the Lord, just at, through worship, or worship Him, or, or whatever it is. If you want to get down on your knees, get down on your knees. If you want to stand up and raise your hands, stand up and raise your hands. If you just want to sit right where you are, do that. But we're going to close with this, and I'll come back and close this in prayer. Psalm 139.